Is this the dagger? Oh! Illegal substitution. Too many men on the field. Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block in the sideline. He has not stepped out. He may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores! Welcome to the Outsiders, powered by the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. It's podcast 89 on Monday, January the 10th. It's Bryn Griffiths, that's me. It's Robin Brownlee, that's him. It's Ray Ferraro from ESPN and TSN down there in the lower part of the screen. How you doing, Ray? I'm good. I'm just trying to figure out my mic here. It's, you know, you'd think after two years I'd have this thing organized, but... It's all right. Hey, you're not in your usual room today. Have you been demoted in your household? Uh, I actually, two things. Uh, I changed the angle of the desk, uh, because there is some other furniture in here. That's kind of like a storage depot at this moment. (laughs) And, and my office was nominated. And on the other side of the wall, right behind me, uh, Cammy's in a meeting, um, they're, they, you know, the teams are starting to do their pro scouting meetings. They start uh, right after January. And I know the Oilers have theirs coming up. Um, um, but uh, this is kind of like a preclude to their meetings and whatever's going on in there. I'm not welcome nor privy to. So I, I stay out. Let me, uh, let me make a bit of a reach, although not much, because Bryn and I were talking about wanting to touch base with you on this one. Pro scouting meetings, teams around the National Hockey League, uh, Ray, what do you say when the name Evander Kane comes up, if it does come up? Oh, boy. Um, probably the same as a lot of people. Um, I think Evander's a terrific player. He's big, he's powerful, he can score, he's fast. He's the prototype of what an NHL power forward in today's world looks like. When there's so much noise around one guy all the time, it gives you great pause. If the noise was from the orbit, I wouldn't worry about it so much. Right. Because it comes, it, you know, you, you read stories about he didn't have a great relationship with his teammates in Buffalo and he didn't have one in Winnipeg and then he didn't have one in San Jose. Like that to me is what I would need to dig into. Uh, now, that's not on the pro scout. I mean, the pro scout can only do what they can do. That, that gets to your general manager and their relationships around the league and mm-hmm. what can you find out. And it's not, guys, it's not calling Doug Wilson and saying, hey, what's Evander Kane like? Because he's too close to the situation. You would need to talk to an agent that's got a player that's played with Evander. Some, like, you've got to find out exactly what, it, what the story is. I, I find in a lot of things, <clears throat> we all judge and we all make proclamations without knowing the full story. And um, my pause, if I were a manager, would be that this story has been consistent 
in too many places. And so that would give me the greatest pause. If you're asking Evander Kane, would I be interested in dropping him into my lineup? As a player, yes, but that's not enough in this case. I'd have to find out more. Common thread, I think, is the expression you're looking for here. There, you know, in all these stories, there's got to be one common thread. But we're living in a city in Edmonton where Glenn Sather had a track record of going after guys like this and finding a way to get it turned around. But I, I don't know. It, it, the NHL has changed a lot since Slats was the general manager sure. anywhere. But after clearing waivers the way he's cleared, I, I naturally would think that that's probably it for Evander. But the National Hockey oh, no. League is a weird place, is it not? No, I, I yeah, but I don't think it's it for him. Um, there's going to be a couple of factors that are going to pop up here. Okay. Um, first off, this grievance that the Players Association filed is going to need to be dealt with in one way or another. Okay. For example, he's not, to, to my understanding and knowledge, he can't sign a contract while this grievance is going on. What if he wins the grievance, which reinstates the San Jose contract? Well, you can't be on two contracts at the same time. Right. So the grievance is going to have to be heard in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. So let's assume they don't win the grievance, just to this discussion. I mean, I have no idea. Um, Now he's a free agent, unrestricted. How much money does he want to sign for? Um, Where does he want to sign? And if those two things fit, then is there a team in that specific price range and want to say, yeah, we're willing to take that that leap with Evander Kane. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Right. Um, I I I do know, like, there's, you know, there there there's one messy story after another, and each one of them you've got to kind of drill down and find out what what exactly is the story here. Like, it doesn't matter what the public thinks. In, in to a certain degree, you have to find what the story is. And 99 and a half percent of us are never going to know whether it's a Vander Kane or somebody else, what the real story is, because once the snowball goes down the hill, you can't even separate one from another. But I'll go back to my initial initial thought was, which I mentioned is that there's always been a lot of noise around Evander and that would give me pause. Okay. Hey, we've got a lot of topics to get onto. Let's talk about the lockdowns in mostly Canada. It's tough watching the Maple Leafs play in Colorado in front of a packed house. And yet we can't watch the senators and Oilers, but it's two different countries, but you're traveling back and forth. Mm. How much traveling are you doing and how much are you missing everything? And uh, it's, it's gotta be frustrating for players, fans and broadcasters. Well, I was in Philadelphia last week um, uh, for ESPN, had Pittsburgh and Philly. Lots of people at the game. Um, assume somebody's getting COVID somewhere. Yeah. Assume people are recovering from it. Assume people are getting sick, like the whole gamut of, yeah. of stuff. I watched, uh, watched the Chargers and the, uh, and the Raiders last night. Um. Looked like about 75,000 people there. I'll be honest with you. Um, I don't even really know what we're doing anymore. Hmm. And when I say we, I mean society. Like 
what are, what are we, what is the goal here? Like, what are we, you know, do this, do this, do this. Okay. So I've done all of that stuff and I still can't do anything. I think that's where the disconnect is between the health organizations and the public. People just, you want, we're not even really living anymore. You're just kind of existing. Now I'm lucky guys, because as screwed up sometimes as things are, when I go to the U S like I, I could go to the gym. I could, you know, I went to a dinner at a restaurant. I had my mask on. I sat down at the table, you know, just like it was a month ago in BC. Right. Um, you know, so I, I, Cammy and I take our boys to, to a movie this past week. Um, and, uh, if you got little kids, I'd recommend sing Two. by the way, S- sing is awesome. And <laughs> sing Two was really, it's really, a, really cool. I thought they did a great job anyway. So we go to the movie. I, I, I text a couple of my buddies and I go, Hey guys, you got to take your kids to this movie. It's awesome. They both live in Ontario and they're like, yeah, the theaters are closed. So, so I'm like, Oh yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. You know, like, I so my point is I don't even really know. I mean, I know what we're trying to do, but I don't even really know what we're trying to do. If that makes, I'm frustrated. I want to move forward. We kind of half were now we're kind of half not, you know, I, I watch a Leafs game. It's like a scrimmage uh, at home. They've got no fans there. Then they go to Colorado and I don't know, that game wouldn't have been the same without the people watching. Yeah. And I, I know I've learned this through the pandemic. I used to always say when it was brought up, you know, oh, we play for the fans. I'm like, no, you don't. You play for your team. You play for yourself. But then when the fans weren't there, I'm like, you know what? I missed it. I was wrong. Like, you do play for that energy. You do play for that support and um, antagonism. Like, you play for the opposition crowd to boo you. You play for your fans to cheer you. When you had it all the time, I don't, I don't think we really knew it. So, Ray, you having control over the universe as a whole. Um, oh, really? That's quite a big chair. Wow. <laughs> what do we do? What can we do? What should we do to get out of this? Because right now... It's a little game inside a great big world, and you can't separate the two, it seems. We're limping along. Uh, teams have players that are sick. How sick you get is up to question, I understand. But you can't have five players like the Oilers, uh, you know, uh, on the weekend and six support staff. And I guess that could be coaches, trainers, uh whatever support staff qualifies sure. as whoever was on that plane, basically. Yeah. 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 I mean, and of course, you know, you, you back yourself up to the point where you end up with a schedule that's completely foobar. Um, was, is there a way out of this? Is there an answer to this? Well, there's not when you have two countries involved. Yeah. You, you, you know, I mean, we can say whatever we want, but the fact of the matter is the governing body is is not the same in both cases i mean the the way out of it if you want a way out of it is you you test positive and in five days you test again and if you're okay you can play like that's that's it however that's not what it is because that's not what it is in canada so 
I mean, you, you, te- you test positive in the States and you want to come back to Canada. Well, you can't even get credit for the days that you quarantine in the States. <laughs> right. So it's, yeah. we can complain about it, but the fact that the fact is those are the rules. And until those rules change, this is what it's going to be. Like you can't have different rules for the hockey players than you have for society. Like that just, I know it doesn't work. Like it it would make no sense times for the 48th time of the things that don't make sense, but you can't have 9,000 people in, um, in the arena in Edmonton and a gym not be able to be opened up. Right. Like the, even though the two aren't directly connected, like the gym owners are going to go, wait a minute. Yeah. They just put 9,000 people in there and I can't have eight people in my gym, you know? So again, I don't even know what we're doing. I think what's happened is this thing has gotten so big. It's literally like I used a different, I used it in a different analogy, but it's the snowball going downhill. It's now gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the rules that we were going by at the start are still kind of half in order, but they're not anymore. And so the players are frustrated. The owners are frustrated. The fans are frustrated. And they're all frustrated for different reasons. A lot of it just goes back that people just want to live. Yet you cannot dismiss the fact that we are, you know, we have to be cognizant of, hey, wait a minute, if somebody gets COVID, it's not just the person sick, it's the person working in the hospital. What if, what if those what if eight nurses get COVID? Yeah. Well, who's you can't, you don't just have a taxi squad of nurses, <laughs> right? Those people need to heal and need to be okay to come, to come back to work. And I, I'll tell you what, you know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to a day when my first conversation with someone I don't see a lot isn't about COVID. Yeah. Cause I am tired of it. Well, let's change the topic then. Thank you. And I mean this. Let's now talk about the Edmonton Oilers, the Calgary Flames, the Vancouver Canucks. Three interesting stories. One, we got a bit of an oil sure. leak going here. Everybody's yeah. trying to figure out what's happened here. I, I know that, you know, when the power oh. play kind of went cold, a lot of things went cold. The Calgary Flames have been playing Daryl Sutter hockey and then finally started to poop out a little bit. Then they yeah. got their little break. Now we'll see how they respond. Vancouver Canucks now have a new head coach in. And Robin, you want to talk, let's talk about Bruce Boudreaux first. Let's go there first. Yeah, Ray, the the one thing I got, and I don't know if it was with you and Ray or Cammy's podcast, but uh, this talk about Boudreaux bringing confidence uh, to this Canucks team. How I know how what Bruce Boudreaux does on the bench and I know what I see, but how does a coach come along and take a team that's wandering around aimlessly and, and put them in the right direction the way he has? It's actually quite easy. Um, now that doesn't mean the results are going to follow with nine game unbeaten streak, but it's quite easy that nobody fires a coach when the, when things are going great. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like that. So things under Travis green, um, were not very good. But don't forget, there was a time when things were really good under Travis. So to get from that really good to where it was when he was fired, that's a lot of mud sliding down the hill. 
and the players are in that mud and pretty soon the mud gets a little deeper and a little deeper. And even if Travis is saying, look, we're a good team, they've already started to slide down the hill. After a while, their confidence is shot. You can't make the play you normally make. The coach is telling you, hey, guys, we're this, we're this, we're this. But you've already dealt with all this crap first. The new guy comes in. He And Bruce said on our podcast, he says, I just told them they were great, that they were great players. He goes, and then we got lucky and won the first game. He said, so I could come in and say, see, you guys are great. Then they won the second game. The one thing that a new coach does when he comes in is the slate gets wiped clean. Yeah. So a player that was low on the pole for Travis isn't anymore because Travis isn't there. Yeah. Bruce is there. So you go have a conversation. It's you're the same guy, but it's a different conversation because you're talking to a different person. So now everybody feels a little better. There's a number, number one or two, and two. Number three is Thatcher Demko is playing about as well as a goalie can play. Mm-hmm. I mean, the kids, the kids are well on his way to being a star in the league. That can't be ignored. Their schedule has been really favorable. And they've taken advantage of all of that. Outside of Pedersen, most of their best end of their lineup has been really good in the last nine games. You know, so there is a little bit of growth potential with Pedersen because you would think whether he's a star or not, he's better than what he's playing now. Yeah. They, that's Vancouver's theory and hope. Um, but they're going down. They play Florida twice, Carolina twice, Tampa twice. We're going to find out where they are. But, man, it's been, I'll tell you, it's sure been nice living in a city where things are rosy as opposed to just picking at the carcass, which is what happened for the previous couple months. Situation in Edmonton and Calgary, over the last 13 <clears throat> games, I think the records are almost similar. Yet there's way less panic in Calgary with Daryl Sutter than there is in Edmonton with Dave Tippett. Is there a McDavid factor there? How do you see the two cities, and are they really that much different? Um. Well, look, we'll go to the go to the Flames first because we'll get to the Oilers, you know, in greater detail, I'm sure. But um, you can't. Two of the worst statements that media and coaches and players for that matter say is one, we didn't play a full 60 minutes and two, we've got to have, we've got to be consistent over the length of the season. Impossible to do in both cases. First of all, you could play a great 60 minutes if the other team wasn't on the ice. (laughs) <laughs> However, the other team, they try too. Yes. And there's going to be moments where the other team is better than you in the game. So this thing, you know, we didn't play a full 60 minutes. Like, okay, I'm reading. I love Todd McClellan. I'm reading the other night. They, I really do. I think Todd's awesome. Yep. They beat Detroit 4 nothing In the first period, they outshoot Detroit 27-2. to two. They're up 2 nothing. He says, I thought we took our foot off the pedal a little bit after that. Yeah, because if you didn't, that meant you would have had 81 shots. It's not going to happen. Detroit went back in the room, and I'm sure Jeff Blaschel said, hey, guys, that really sucked. Like, the game has started, 
Our goalie is over there like Denny Lemieux from Slapshot. So let's give him a break and let's see if we can roll it along a bit. So you don't play 60 minutes, but you win four nothing. I mean, like, I don't know, pretty good day. The reason I bring that up is the Flames get this off to this great start. You're going to sag at some point in the season. You cannot play to a 9.5 level all the time. It's not spinal tap. You can't turn it to 11. There is no 11. It only goes to 10. And so they're at their max. Then their defense comes, comes off their peak by 10%. A couple of their forwards drop 4 or 5%. Well, pretty soon you're playing 20% less efficiently. And the other team is trying and they're trying to be good. And then you go in and, oh, where did you lose? Tampa, Florida, Carolina, like the best teams in the league. Yeah, It's going to happen. That gets us to the Oilers. It is impossible, no matter what anybody says, to evaluate your team when your goalie can't stop the puck. And Miko Koskinen is fine at two and a half million dollars as a backup goalie for 25 games yeah. to 30 games. He would be fine when he plays a lot. He gets loose. Pucks start to go through him. Like, never mind the goof in New York when he went out to the corner. I mean, he got out there and clearly what happened, he's like, holy crap, I can't play that puck. It's not in the trapezoid. Yeah. So he stopped. And now... You know, he prop. I mean, in retrospect, I'm sitting on my couch. First thing I thought was he should have taken the penalty because he's behind the net. And now the guy's getting to it first. Anyway, the goals that go right through him, they kill you, kill you. In this two, nine and two stretch, in those 11 losses, they've given up 11 power play goals. Their power play doesn't have a goal. Yeah. They're down one nothing in every game they play yeah. of the 11 losses of those 13. So you're down one nothing. That means you got to score two to win. So the power play predictably was going to come off their peak, right? I mean, you can't, nobody's going to finish at 52% or whatever the heck they were running early. They've used 11 defensemen. Yeah. 11. I didn't even know you had 11 defensemen. We don't. Right? I, I went... <laughs> Uh, yesterday, I drove basically to accompany my wife on a date night. We went and watched Bakersfield play um, uh, play Abbotsford. She had to scout. And I sat there and kind of wandered around. And so I'm looking at them, and they've got Samarukov, who had a less than stellar NHL debut and showed he's probably not quite ready to play. Uh, only had two bad shifts. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He only had two shifts. Poor kid. I, I know. mean, like... You come up there and, oh, man, here's my chance. And zap, zap, you're in the highlight film twice. Uh, Broberg, Broberg is he's probably too good for the league. You know, like he just, he kind of roams around and swallows the ice up and nothing gets by him. And, you know, if you're looking for 50 points, you probably got the wrong guy. But but that's, those, those are next. Everybody yeah. else is either in COVID or hurt or... Like where are you, you eleven defensemen? Pretty crazy. You don't, you don't have a ch guys. You don't have a chance like that. Like you, you know. I, I'm, I read a lot about you know, like Holland's mistake was coming into the season with Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen, and the options were what they thought they had a deal done for Darcy Kemper. 
Yeah. And then at the last minute, the rug got pulled out. Well, now you don't have Darcy Kemper. So what are you going to do? Are you going to buy out Miko Koskinen and throw him on the unwanted money list? Like you're trying to get out of that. Yes. You can't trade him because who's taking a $4.5 million goalie? So now that is not a $4.5 million goalie. And then you've got $2 million of cap space. That's how you end up with Mike Smith. Like you can argue the Duncan Keith trade, but Chicago wasn't going to take any money back. They just weren't. So maybe the play would have been to walk past Keith and try and sign somebody else in a $3 million range. Look at the defensemen around the league making three and a half and $4 million. And you tell me how many of them you want that are going to be difference makers for you. The answer is not many. Their hope, honestly, is those young kids can play a significant role on their blue line by March or whatever March is going to be for this year. Right? Like that's how you get better. You just, the cap has killed your creativity. And um, again, you could go back to the Keith deal and say, hey, that's the one. But a defenseman like Cody Cece, that's what they make. Yeah. that's what they make. It's uh, I know we're going to talk about the world juniors in a minute. So I, can they get it, turn it around here whenever they start, whenever they get restarted, whenever that's going to be, you know what they need? They need about 11 more COVID cases. So everybody has it. And then they get three months of, Hey, we're going to be okay. Yeah. Like I, like honestly, it right now it must feel like a little one of those little kids' hammers that somebody just keeps hitting them on top of the forehead with. Another COVID case, another COVID. Case. Oh, here's two more. Oh, here's four more. Because as we've seen with Omicron, once a couple of guys get it, yeah. look out. Ray, before we go to the World Juniors, um, Emily Kaplan. Uh, there was a piece generated from an interview she did the other day, grabbed a lot of attention here about what happens if the Oilers were to lose to the Sens. Well, that's a big if that's not going to happen. I didn't, I thought it was overplayed anyway, but she wrote another piece about uh, Jack Hughes and Mm -hmm. the confidence. And some people say uh, swagger that is a part of his game and starting with Jack, but bigger (laughs) picture, because I'm actually such a fossil. I remember you as a young player. Right. Um, that's fairly common today where you see kids who, I don't think you should be scared under the covers like some kids are. It's a huge jump. But is this a generational thing? Or are the young players that much different today, Ray, than when you were a young player trying to earn your place in the National Hockey League? Oh, it's way different. I mean, when I started in 1984, December of 84, um, I came in to the locker room. I got called up. Mark Johnson got hurt. And uh, um, so, first of all, Mark Johnson, four years after the miracle on ice, I walk in the locker room sitting in his stall. Whoops. And oh I'm, boy. and it's got, it's got Johnson over my head. They didn't even change the <laughs> nameplate back then. And so I'm just sitting there and one of the veterans walks by, I'm, I'm there for the morning skate. You know, there's no internet or anything. Nobody knows I'm there, but I'm there like, 
skates at 1030. I'm there at nine o'clock sitting in my stall. I'm so nervous. <laughs> Veteran guy walks by and says, how long are you here for? Ouch. Not, hey, how you doing or whatever. Hey, welcome. Or, and I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't know. I guess till Mark's healthy. I, I don't know. Nobody told me anything. So I'm, my point is like, you sat there when somebody talked to you, you talked and that was just the way it is. But yes, it was a hockey culture thing, but it was a societal thing. Earn your way, earn your stripes. You know, I mean, that's an actual phrase, earn your stripes, not just, just you know, not just show up and be who you are. Well, the game has changed. Society's changed. People have changed. Like, why should Jack Hughes come in as the number one overall pick and, and not be Jack Hughes? You were drafted to be Jack Hughes. So, you know, I know the Hughes family a little bit. Uh, Ellen, uh, his mom, uh, played with Cammy with the U.S. national team back in the day. Uh, Jimmy, of course, I've known through uh, around hockey circles. Uh, Really cool guy to talk hockey, just loves hockey with. They've instilled in those kids um, a, a confidence, um, an ability to evaluate themselves, yet to be really nice kids. I've, I've never met Luke. I don't know Luke yet. Uh, Jack and Quinn, they're good kids. So Jack wants to write a motorized scooter around Hoboken and sit on his couch with a broken phone and watch fantasy football and throw his stick into the crowd when he scores an overtime goal. I'm all for it. You know, like I know this was a, this was a big moment for me where I was like, damn, you know, I bet I better get on this and understand a little more. Remember when uh, the blue Jays were playing Texas, I was uh, in the playoffs, the Batista bat flip game. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I land, I'll never forget this. I, I land in Pittsburgh. And when you drive from the airport in Pittsburgh into downtown, you have to go through this long couple mile tunnel. Yeah. Well, you lose all service on your phone. So I'm scrolling on my phone, you know, like refresh, refresh, refresh. And it's just saying, I think it was the seventh inning delayed, delayed. Del I'm like, what the, what has gone on there? Well, I get to the hotel and Batista's just hit the home run and thrown his bat. And I'm like, he shouldn't do that. I don't like it. And then I got to thinking, well, why not? That was a madhouse. Why can't he show any emotion? So Jack Hughes wants to throw his stick in the air over the glass. Why not? You know what bugs me more? When some guy that gets three goals in a season scores and doesn't smile. Hey, buddy, you might not score again. How about have some fun? Yeah. Have some fun. You scored. There are all times when you shouldn't. I mean, when it's eight to two or your team's getting their teeth kicked in, maybe you don't celebrate, but man, have some fun when you score. Fun is entertainment. Entertainment is part of the game. That's where we are today. Like I know Connor McDavid scores a lot and Leon Dreisaitl scores a lot, but it's okay to have fun when you score. You're yeah. the best. Have fun. Like why not? Love seeing that emotion. It's great. Remember when Glenn Anderson scored? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, at the time, you'd be like, damn, I hate Glenn Anderson because he scored again against us again. But he was having fun. Yeah. Like, again, what's wrong? If, if you're scoring 78 goals a year, maybe your arms get tired from going up in the air. 
But when you get eight, have some fun. Yeah. You know, it's, fu- it's funny, Ray, because you come from a time where a lot of these, hey, act like you've scored before, kid. Um, attitude started for me uh start you know covering in new westminster as well i was still in school but then moving up to kamloops the guy i remember and i know he got crap in the national hockey league some guys ran him hard hexy i know did rob brown he had that he had that arm windmill that he would do and he'd go by your bench and it looked like he was going to take off it was great well it it was was great unless you were sitting but when you're sitting, it doesn't, but here's the thing, Robin, it's like, if somebody wants to take a run at Brownie later, eh, it's, yeah. that's just the way it goes. But when you, so why not be yourself though? Yeah. I loved scoring goals. I mean, I loved it. So why shouldn't I be happy? Why should I have to be a grump ass? Because the game is telling me, oh, you don't celebrate you you know, you, this BS about respect the other team, you're telling a guy at a face-off, he sucks anyway. The guy (laughs) that you're playing against, he's telling you, you stink. So you can't celebrate when you score. (laughs) I, I think we like this, the NFL is they've decided this taunting thing. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Like short of just mocking every other human on the planet. If you get a sack, why can't you jump up? and go, yeah, I got a sack. Or why can't you celebrate a touchdown? Why can't you celebrate a goal? Why can't you hit a home run and celebrate? Do you remember when Ricky Henderson hit a home run? It took him two minutes to run around the bases. Like (laughs) two minutes, like, hey buddy, it's a left turn. You keep turning left three times and you're back home. But I I don't, I like it. I want to see the enthusiasm. I think the people enjoy the enthusiasm. Yeah. I know that you're tight for time, so we, we don't want to go too much longer. I'm but all right so far. I got nothing going on. All right, right great. Now. Well, you wrap up. I got to chip the ice out of the driveway here. It's you like you wrap it up. <laughs> you wrap it up when you want to. Let's get to the World Juniors. Yeah. How many years have you been covering that event? And is this about as low as it gets in terms of it was just, it was so deflating the way it's happened here actually over the last two years. No fans yeah. the first year, nobody in there to watch the U.S. win it. And now this year, the way things worked out. It just, I feel sorry for everybody from players to the, the to the management, to, to the organizers, to the volunteers. I don't even know where to start with that, but how do you see it? Well, it, it when the first case came and then we had heard before really anybody had talked about it, that if this is in the tournament, that team's going to have to forfeit. Right. It felt to me like a house of cards especially because the players weren't uh, completely bubbled. So at the end of November, before Omicron really took hold and before the NHL had canceled any games, they were having one of their later planning meetings. And uh, my understanding is that some of the federations felt that it was too restrictive. Well, as it turned out, it wasn't restrictive enough. Yeah. You know, in hindsight, of course, the players should have been in a bubble but you can't just make a bubble, right? You can't just wrap plastic wrap around everybody. That planning would have had to gone on months before to secure hotels, um, secure staff. And and it wasn't done. And it's easy to say they should have, because again, in hindsight, they should have. Right. 
But once it started, there was no stopping it because pretty soon what you ended up with was a bunch of games and not a tournament. So when you mentioned the volunteers, I, I'm going to start there because we had people driving us back and forth to the rink. People had, you know, mo- most of them retired um, who had put in to drive. I mean, it's a mammoth thing getting people around all over the place. It's not just a couple of people. They'd booked trips, they'd booked holidays, they'd booked time to be in Edmonton to volunteer because the tournament meant to them. And I feel sorry for them because they didn't have to be there. The organizers, the hours and hours and hours that they put through, and it's just gone, poof, gone, finished. At least last year, all those hours resulted in a tournament being played. Now, it wasn't the same and it was a shame, but this year, it's just like, poof, gone, finished. Now, I'd be shocked if they don't replay this tournament. Um, there's too much on the line. And whether whether we want to acknowledge it or not, there's a financial implication to this, to the IIHF. This is a money engine for them. Yep. Yet, the one thing that's come out of this is you cannot have the money engine rolling, like get that tournament back, and not respect the tournaments that have been postponed. Correct. Those other tournaments, the girls' tournaments, the boys' tournaments, they have to be played. They, they have to be played. And there's no way the IIHF will approach it any other way. Um, the one thing you have to understand or people have to understand is, you know, you can't just say, okay, let's move the tournament. Somebody's got to be willing to host it. Somebody's got to be willing to put the infrastructure in place. That's not the IIHF. That's the organizing committee. The Oilers and the uh, Oilers Entertainment Group, they were the structural foundation of those tournaments. Like the IIHF doesn't drop 100 people in there to run the tournament. The the host city does. So if you're moving the tournament, that's why, if you're moving the tournament, you need that infrastructure. When they moved the Women's Worlds from Halifax um, out to Calgary, they just didn't pick it up and move it. They had to put that infrastructure in place. Now Calgary had has that great facility, so they, that's that's um, that's block one. But then you have to put the people in place to run the tournament, to run the bubbles, to run the hotels, mm-hmm. to make sure the women are looked after, uh, so they can play uh, in a in a healthy environment. That took time, and the IHF has twenty other tournaments on the calendar between now and the end of May. So my guess is we're looking at June or July for that tournament uh, and the other ones to be played. Like the U18 women's, without question, has to be a priority. That has to be, get play, has to be played and it will be played, in, yeah. in my mind anyway. I just, I don't see how one could be played without the other. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Ray, sort of a two-parter here um, on the World Junior. Uh, what about this particular tournament uh, did you most want to see that you didn't get to see a bit of the teams or a a couple individual players and the uh, other thing what about the world junior is there a kernel to the world junior that when you break everything down is there one thing it comes down to that makes it in my mind such a terrific tournament and such an event to, to attend, even if you only go once. Okay. I'll start with the players first and the teams. I wanted to see the checks. Ah. The, the checks were good. 
and they were going to be a problem in that tournament. The Slovaks, pretty good. Had some really good players. They were going to be a problem in that tournament. Of course, the, the other teams you, you know, you're, you're looking at that, that are always pretty good. Of course, that's, I wanted to see Simon Edvinson, the, mm-hmm. the giant Swedish defenseman who's, unless he loses his plane ticket, is going to be playing in Detroit next year. So they're going to have Edvinson. They're going to have Moritz Sider. Yeah. Like a couple of giant under 21 year old defensemen. Like Detroit's got, and they got Lucas Raymond already. They're on, you know, the, they're on the path. Yeah. They're on the path. So I wanted to see him. I wanted to see more of Connor Bedard. I wanted to see more of Matt Vemichuk. Like, oh my God, that kid can score. Like, he looks a little bit like Kaprizov to me, but I didn't see him enough. So I wanted to see more. I mean, the Russians were a mess. They couldn't, they couldn't defend anything, but I wanted to see that kid play more. So that, those are the types of things that, you know, I wanted to watch Mason McTavish and Owen Power play a little more. You know, like that, so fun to watch that stuff. Yeah. Um, as for the tournament, what makes it appealing, I, I think um, you have a bunch of teenagers who play with everything because it's, um, it's the greatest event that many of them will ever play in, but it's also the greatest event of their hockey careers to that point. Uh, they're playing for their country. They're on TV. Their passion has not been dulled by failures in the game yet. You know, they haven't lost yet. They're, they're all winners because they're, they're at the peak of their class year after year after year after year. Yet they get there and they're confident and they know this tournament is so important and they want to play and we want to tune in because there's also the hook of, Hey, that's my favorite team. And Oh, that guy's drafted by my team and I want to watch my team's future. Right. That that's what I, that's where I think the pull of the tournament starts. To wrap things up, we know how much you're a big sports fan, not just an NHL or a hockey guy, but yesterday the national football league wrapped up their regular schedule I watched it. I'm sure you did. The Chargers and the Raiders playing last Unreal. night. And Unreal. we kind of knew the situation going in. I didn't want to think about it until uh, until Chris brought it up on the broadcast about the fact that if we get into overtime and we get halfway through overtime, these two teams might just play for a tie. It kind of I like to always think the teams are playing for a win. You played at a professional level. Mm. How do you feel about the thought that maybe they were thinking tie and that we're both going to get in in overtime. Cause it was just a crazy, that was a kooky game. I don't know if we're going to see a situation like that come up for a very, very long time. Well, I mean, the whole thing started of course, when Indianapolis lost. Yes. Now, what are the chances that they were going to lose to Jacksonville stinks except <laughs> Jacksonville won. Yeah. And now you, now you got a problem. And, but then it still doesn't matter if Pittsburgh doesn't win, but win. Pittsburgh wins overtime. Yeah. You know, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger can't throw the ball across the street anymore, yet <laughs> they still win overtime. Yep. So now this whole scenario plays out. The Chargers got to score 15 points in the last six minutes to get it to overtime. They're completing fourth downs like it's six know, times. Up, six times like, they did. It's like picking up change on the street, and you're and you're like, oh my god, they're into overtime. So they trade the field goals, and and here's where I. This is when I'm like, or Collinsworth is talking about it. And of course I'm thinking about, geez, I wonder what I would be doing here. What I would be most worried about when you say, oh, we tie and we both get in. 
I don't care about the other guys. I really don't give a damn about the Chargers. Right. Because I'm the Raiders. I got the ball. I'm like, we tie, we're in. I, I don't want to risk a fumble, an interception. Like, I don't want to force anything. And you can tell your quarterback, don't force a throw. You can tell your running back, two hands on the ball. Guess what? Those things still happen. So they had the first run. I think the, uh, the back picked up like six or eight yards. Then they tried the same play and they lost four or five yards. Well, at this point, it's to me, it's pretty obvious. They're not going to really try and throw the ball here. Yeah. Be, you know, because they've run, basically they ran the same play in reverse twice. Why the, ch- so what would really tweak me is when the Chargers called the timeout. Yes. To me, that signaled they want the ball back to try and win. Yeah. So I've got to defend against that. So I either get a first down or I got to punt it anyway. Because there's still going to be some time. Yeah. And so the timeout, he didn't, they didn't need that timeout. It's the and message the it's, teams, it's the message it sent, right? Well, it, it, the message becomes a little bit of a red flag. Yes. <laughs> and so you're over there and you're like, wait oh, a minute. I'm not going to be the dummy standing over here saying, oh, I'm sure they're going to play for a tie. Yeah. Because right now I'm a little nervous about that. <laughs> right. And so they, they throw a pass. I mean, it could have been incomplete, but they get a first down. Now they're going to kick a field goal. Why are they not now? They're basically like, wait a minute. I can't trust you. Could have just did a kneel down, just killed the time off the clock. But you're right. You put that little seed of doubt in your brain and oh man. But they couldn't have knelt down at that time. I guess no. they could have. I, you know what? I guess they could have once they got the first down. Yeah. They could have knelt down. However, at that point, they ran it to two seconds. And as I'm standing there and pretending I'm the coach of, of Las Vegas, I'm thinking those guys were trying to put a nail in us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even if they block this, they can't run it back the whole way. Cause if the guy that blocks it's 285 yards, we're pro or 285 pounds. We're probably going to catch him somewhere. I'm kicking it. It was crazy. And you know what? To tie it back to hockey, that's why we should have play-in games for the bottom two spots in the playoffs. That is why. That'd be a blast. That'd be like good that, stuff. To me, that, that's per, you're watching it. Why couldn't the top six teams be in? Team seven, eight, nine, and ten play an elimination little one game each. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. It's one weekend because the chances that the um, – you know, the chances that something untoward is going to happen is almost nil. It might happen once in a while. But what if the West had a play-in day on the on the Monday and the East had it on Tuesday and the playoffs started Wednesday? Are you missing those play-in games on Monday and Tuesday? Not a chance. If it was Calgary and Edmonton and the one game winner moves on. To, I, I can feel Edmonton, the bile coming up already. Wonderful bile. Yeah, but Bryn, Bryn, what if it's... Edmonton and anybody. Oh yeah, in absolutely. A game that the entire Oiler fan base is shut down to watch. Yeah, the entire because you're playing those games 
Robin gave me the world chair earlier. I'm taking it over again. <laughs> so you play the early West or the early East coast play in game, the late West coast play in day on the same day. You have a double header two days in a row. You have two days of laser focus on who's in the playoffs. Wow. <laughs> and there's more revenue. The old term hockey related revenue. We can't mm-hmm. live without it. Maybe and you know what? You know what we is. would say after all of that, Ray? We would say this. Can you believe what oh, we Lee, just saw? Did he bring that home? Did he bring it home? If if you go back and watch that play, so first of all, you know, my old teammate Patrick Stefan, just shoot it in the damn net, really. Like, yeah. like you're in the NHL, just shoot it in the net. But after he falls, if he doesn't do anything, the play is over. But he tries to save the play play and he passes it right on the tape to Jarrett Stoll. And away we like go. It's right on. If it's in his feet, it doesn't happen. <laughs> and then the puck goes a hundred feet right on the tape again. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it was, you know, it was beautiful. And, and I've had people say, geez, Ray, he sounded downright indignant. And I'm thinking that wasn't indignant. Indignant at the buzzer was hitting your delete key on your laptop because yeah. your gamer was already. Ready. No, I was, I couldn't believe, as Lou said, Pete Labardia said, can you believe what you just, the answer was no. Like all, so as I'm doing that highlight, so you're, when you're live on the air, uh, I'm playing the play in my head backwards. Like yeah. how did it get from here to here to here to here? Mm-hmm. Cause I've got to start the highlight. You can't, or at least I don't, you can't talk as you're seeing the highlight. You have to know what's coming next, but in only order to do that, cause it happens so fast, I'm running the play backwards in my head. Hemsky, Smith. So like, where did it go? Yeah. And then you're like, oh, and the thing I focused on was Stefan missing the net, but then keeping the play alive because it was over Yeah. until he, he, he's trying to keep the play alive, but he passed it to the other guy, which was Jared Stoll. It was, it was crazy. It was one of the. Oh, I don't know. It was one of the most fun things. Uh, to- and it's going to keep coming up on YouTube and over and over again. We love it. I don't know what your, your career, I guess your career moment in your playing career would be, but that has to be like, that was a huge moment for you in your broadcasting career. That took you to the next level. That was so well, much a fun. Of, a lot of people that maybe didn't know I was broadcasting found out, you know, because I was, I don't know. I, it was a little bit over the top, but I was like, ah. I still couldn't believe it. Um, and uh, I would say if there was one moment I could pick, um, to a highlight, uh, it would be a shootout. Uh, yeah, I was playing for Canada at the world championships in 1996, playing the Russians to get into the final and, um, w- their first guy scored our first four missed, um, their neck. So their first guy scored their next four missed our first four missed. And I had to score to send it into um, into extra shooters. And as I was leaving the bench, Marty Brodeur, who was our backup to Curtis Joseph, pretty good goaltending tandem. Yes. Uh, Marty says, I don't think your backhand deke can work against this goalie. Oh. And so I'm skating out to the blue line and I'm thinking, ah, I don't really have another move. Like that's about <laughs> it. And uh, 
and it worked, but that would have been, that was one of my career highlights for sure. Thanks for your time today. It's great. You know, it's sad. We only talk to you twice a year, but it's uh, gold every single time. Thanks, man. This is fantastic. Well, thanks. I wish everybody a happy 2022 and for all our frustrations for COVID and what we wish could happen. Um, let's just hope that we get to a better place, uh, yeah. a more full place of life um, in a relatively near, near time frame. We're with you. Thanks very much. Peace guys. Make sure our levels are good. Thanks, man. That's fantastic. Sorry. We yeah. took you long. Um, no, no, no problem. I'm glad it worked. And um, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see you around here. Fans sometime soon. Okay. Thanks, Ray. Yeah. Be well, guys. Okay. We'll see let you, you uh, see your way out here and we'll, we'll do our final segment. Thanks again. Awesome. Okay. Take care. Well, 2021 is done. And even though many of us feel it might've been a little off year in general, it certainly wasn't that for the Edmonton metro area in terms of real estate. That actually was a very good year. Now, not, not crazy like some parts of the country, but still very encouraging. I was chatting with Brent McIntosh from the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City just the other day, obviously wishing him all the best in this upcoming year, 2022. And we started talking a little bit about the fact that now is a good time to gear up if you're thinking about looking for a new place or maybe putting your place on the market. The reason why you get going now is you'll be ready to go because the market really starts to pick up in the month of February. So rather than waste the month of January, just start getting things going in a more positive direction as you look for your next purchase or perhaps the sale of your current place. If you'd like to track them down, give them a shout at 780-464-0075 or mackintoshgroup.ca. Start the process with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. There's no obligation. There's no deadline for this offer, but just don't let the market pass you by. Be ready to go when the market starts to really pick up. Both buyers and sellers can contact the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. Once again, direct. Here's the number, 780-464-0075, or you can find them at macintoshgroup.ca. Wow, that was, uh, that was quite the episode. Ray Ferraro absolutely brought it on today's edition of The Outsiders. Hey, Robin, I, I got to talk about what we did last week, where it was just you and me talking sports. Okay. The response that we've had has been tremendous. And uh, good listenership on that particular podcast. I think we got to do a little more of that. But then again, how do you not get guests like Ray Ferraro on who, you know, provide us with an episode like today's? Well, I think, you know what, Bryn, we do that. And if we do that once every, you know, four or five, six months, I think it's great. That's probably what makes it, uh, you know, what made it a little bit different last time. If you're, if you're not doing it all the time, people are going, okay, these guys are just having a chat. Let's listen to what they got to say. And unless we're way out in left field, the both of us, uh, you know, it offers a different take than, than what we usually do with a guest. That's all. I think it's okay. We always have a great time chatting with Ray and we know he enjoys it, but we, uh, I, I was surprised yeah. how long we went on today's episode because I initially played this only because I just wanted to make him laugh. Can you believe what we just saw? But, uh -huh. but man, he just had some great stories to go along with that. So it was just a lot of fun today. Really enjoyable. Hey, uh, let's let's tell everybody how they can get a hold of us on Twitter. The handle's really simple. It is at Outsiders2020. Also, make sure you tell your friends to subscribe to our RSS feed. It's on all of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Deezer, 
and all sorts. Hey, we're also on YouTube, and coming soon, there will be a video version of our podcast on YouTube, so we're looking forward to that. Robin, by the way, uh, we were talking about your luxurious studio in southwest Edmonton. The, we need some help. We need some help, guys, on a name for your studio. There was one suggestion from Brent McIntosh, who I ran into not long ago. He said, well, he's obviously in the Robin's Nest. And I went, I laughed because, you know, he's a sponsor, so I had to make him think that that was really funny. Uh, but uh, the Robin's Nest, hmm, I think we hmm. can do better. So we'll uh, let people uh, chime in if they would like to do so. What do you think about Robin's Nest? No? Um, no? Didn't catch you. you? Thank you, Brent. Appreciate the effort, but... Uh, uh, You're not going to dismiss it just like that. Uh, no, I think I, I think it'll get careful consideration. Okay. All right. I am recording from the Road 55 studio in downtown Edmonton. If I look out the front door of our studio, I can see Roger's place. It's that close, and uh, it's a lot of fun here. Anyway, your support is greatly appreciated. We uh, It just keeps growing. Uh, just looking at the listening uh, analytics, and uh, it's uh, – I think what the, the real – here's what's working – is that it's getting bigger and better because people are retweeting our tweets when we send some stuff out. And you're also telling everybody that uh, you're telling your buds that uh, you enjoy listening to our guests and us on occasion. So uh, thank you very much for that. Anything else, Robin? Have we pretty much touched on it all? Yeah. I th you know what? I think we're good for this time. There's always more to get after, but uh that's what next Monday's for. And right now, it looks like Jason Greger from TSN 1216 Edmonton is going to join us on our podcast, our next episode. Looking forward to catching up with Jay to see exactly Absolutely. how things are going. He's yeah. had himself a great year. He'll tell us about that. And also, not everybody knows how Jason got started. So we'll get to all of that. Robin, talk to you next week. You sure will, pal. Storm in the castle. Road 55.